Hi, everybody. Happy New Year. Welcome to the first Chats with Children I'm doing in 2022. And I'm delighted to be joined by my first guest of the year, Kevin Cronin, who is VP of Corporate Development for Protein Metrics. And today we're going to be talking about the evolution of integrated informatics on the cloud. But before we start talking about that, let's find a little bit more about Kevin. So, Kevin, first of all, lovely to see you. Happy New Year, my friend. Thank you, Rizwan. Glad to be here. Glad to be uh, uh, with you. First thing, first day of the year, back to work. I hope everyone had. I hope everyone had a wonderful holidays. Yeah, well, I hope you've had a wonderful festive season and uh, actually uh, have a fantastic 2022. Now, before we start talking about um, integrated scientific informatics, particularly on the on the cloud, uh, perhaps you give viewers a very quick overview of protein metrics for those not familiar with it and your own background as well. Sure. Uh, well, personally, uh, I studied chemistry, uh, did my undergraduate work in Seattle and my graduate work in, in Berkeley, but I have been in scientific software for my entire career. Uh, and that's been, that spans companies that were California-based, that were back in the client-server era, uh, moved into the, uh, the, the cloud environment, and then for the last five, 10 years into the SaaS environment or for scientific software, serving not only life sciences, but also chemistry, agrochemicals, anybody who does scientific information. Right. That, well, great. Thank you for giving me that overview. And Protein Metrics, give me a bit of an overview of, of that, the company as well. Protein Metrics uh, was uh, founded about 12 years ago by a mathematician and one of his grad students who applied methods they had developed at Xerox Park to solving difficult mass spectrometry interpretations uh, that, uh, that uh, were vendor neutral. So the, the major uh, makers of the scientific instruments, and those are well-known names, we can go through a few of them if you wanted, but everybody knows who they are. They are excellent at engineering and they make better and better and better equipment every year, but their software to interpret their data has not kept up with that. And so Protein Metrics was founded to help people better understand the data they were generating from their mass spectrometers. Right. Okay. Now let's talk about integrated scientific informatics on the cloud. So on the cloud, what do you actually mean, or what do you mean when we talk about integrated scientific informatics on the cloud? So when you think about the drug development process, there are something like fifty different domains that need to come together bring their information together to help make decisions about how to go forward and equally important about when not to go forward. Uh, historically, those uh, data sets have been in silos. Uh, they sit on desktops, they sit on servers, uh, and they come together as PowerPoint in, in conference rooms. And people make a lot of decisions about, well, this looks good working together, this biological data and this proteomic data and this chemistry data. Uh, what we're talking about now is to bring together those information sets so that they can be worked together interactively uh, and advance the science in uniform, or not quite in uniform, in coherence with each other. Right. Okay. So how have you as a business then created that sort of software and created the opportunity for end users and to use that integration? So the uh, software was originally developed for specialists working on 
their local environment, whether that is a desktop or a small group of people you know, working off of a server. Um, we have evolved to bring that into an enterprise cloud in informatics uh, area uh, with integration points into other types of scientific data. So our bit, which is the proteomics components, and that is the characterization of the biotherapeutics, uh, either those being used for drug development or just the study of all the proteins that are in the living cell, um, is to bring that data set together with other types of data. For, it, for instance, omics data is quite frequently used uh, in conjunction with proteomics data or it may be safety, or it may be production capabilities, but bringing all of that data together such that decisions can be made with the full set of data at hand. Right. Now, I know the pandemic highlighted, actually, how important it was for people to have access to data. If they were working remotely from home, it was obviously because of lockdown, there's been a lot of remote working and a lot of no, a lot of companies have moved faster, particularly in pharma, towards digitalization than they were before. So how have you seen that impact how users have been using your software and how has your software developed to help users during that current period? Um, I think probably the most important uh, impact that the pandemic had in terms of accelerating the rate at which people are able to use their data from whatever location they're in is senior level management now endorsing the digital transformation, recognizing that a scientist does not need to be in the office 15 feet away from the laboratory where the data is being generated. So now uh, it is completely acceptable that someone may be working from a home office uh, tied in through the internet, collecting uh, data coming out of the laboratory and making the analysis, the annotations, and the decisions on what to do next. So the digital transformation, which was well underway, was accelerated by the pandemic. And uh, our, our end users were the beneficiaries of that. Right. And what about the issues about security? Because are people always a bit nervous when they think about the cloud and security. Yes. And also right. when you're looking at um, an industry such as pharma, which is so highly regulated, you know, Cybersecurity is a huge issue, uh, right. obviously, particularly around protecting the data and IPs and so on. So, so how have you as a business sort of ensured that uh, when people use your software, the data is protected? So I would break that question into two. You mentioned security and cybersecurity, and then you mentioned the regulatory elements. And those are not one and the same. Those are two oh. critically important topics, but let's break those apart. From a security perspective, if you think about security, um, there's the security of the data that is uh, created locally, transmitted to whatever location it's going to be stored and analyzed in, and then shared. Um, and if you look at that, probably most of the security flaws that exist in our world today are from lack of good practices of how people handle their data locally. Uh, uh, you, you, you probably personally have had your, uh, your data exposed because someone left a laptop that had your university's uh, information on it. I know that mine has. Berkeley sends me uh, letters all the time saying, yet another person knows your uh, social security <laughs> number because the laptop was left someplace. So there's, there's that element of it. 
Then there's the security. And I think the one that you're asking about is, is it more secure on a server that would be managed by a biopharmaceutical company compared to a server that is managed by Amazon? And the answer to that one has been shown very clearly that you are more secure on Amazon than you are on a server that you're managed locally. Now, there are, there, are, there are two important elements to that though, and that is the security of the data at rest. It needs to be encrypted while it sits and is generated, and then it needs to be encrypted in transit. So right. you need the combination of all four of those things. Most importantly, local security of how your end users manage their passwords and, uh, and what do they do in Starbucks. Then there's the security of the data that is sent to the, to the cloud and then the data moved around the cloud. And Amazon makes it a full-time business to protect the security in the cloud. It comes up all the time. Every single contract that we, that we negotiate, there are five pages to talk about <laughs> what about security in the cloud. And, and, and I'm not dismissing that as not being important. Sure. I'm just saying it's not the weak link. Do you want to talk about the second piece? The yes, definitely. Yeah. The 100% yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah. All right. So that's less about security. And that's more about making sure that you follow all of the regulatory guidelines for how you collect data, generate data, interpret data. And we are a piece of that, although ultimately the ownership for that belongs to the company making the biotherapeutic. So we follow guidelines such as the software guidelines from the FDA. Right. Uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and throw the acronym out because everybody knows it, 21 CFR Part 11. Uh, and that just gives you the guidelines for making sure that you use the right type of, of uh, programs to ensure that your software is developed proper, properly. And we, and we follow those. And as you get closer and closer to manufacturing, that security gets tighter and tighter and tighter. Right now, most of our users are in preclinical. So we're kind of in the middle of that compliance process. But we do have customers successfully using our software in a GXP environment. And uh, we pay a lot of attention to that. Brilliant. Now, I know um, you mentioned vendors, obviously, and you're vendor neutral in, in terms of what you do. Yeah. Um, but I know a lot of vendors have also invested a lot in creating their own software and they're buying Correct. software companies and creating their software. You know, and Brooker would be one of them, just to throw out a name there that I know sure. they do it as well. So what makes your software unique that people would use your software rather than, say, a supply-specific software for that instrument? So I think the big difference is being a dedicated software company. Everything we do is about software. Every decision we make on how to spend money, on how to invest resources is, how do we make our customers more successful with their software? Um, Brooker is an example, Thermo Fisher, Danaher Syax, they all have software that comes with their instruments and it does achieve a certain level of interpretation of their data. Um, I think that uh, you will find that if you search the web, we have reseller agreements with most of those companies who add our software along with their software. Now, it is possible that uh, you don't need to use our software and you can still get good results. I don't mean to say that's not true, but uh, I do think the fact that they partner with us and deliver our software with their instruments is a strong indicator that we do a lot more than they're able to do. 
Fantastic. Right. Okay. Now I know you had um, a request. The protein metrics has been recently acquired by Insightful Science. So tell us a bit more about Insightful Science and what does that mean for the future of protein metrics? Right. So uh, we are, are, are delighted to have recently joined the Insightful Science team, part of the bioinformatics group. Um, Insightful Science is a pure software play uh, company that is bringing together a group of scientific software companies to be able to address a wide range of the needs of the life science industry. Um, if I may mention some of their, the other companies, they've acquired their, their household names. They've acquired a platform technology that delivers electronic lab notebooks and limbs called Dotmatics, right. which has been around and is really a well-established company. They have genomics companies such as GeneSnap and Genius that, that are very much partners to us where we are in the proteomic space. They're in the genomic space. Oh. Um, and they have analytics companies, uh, uh, Graph Prism, uh, or, excuse me, Prism Graph Brad, which has been around for a long time, which is on tens of thousands of desktops. So they're bringing together the best in class of a wider, wide collection of pure scientific software companies to deliver to all parts of the preclinical through clinical development uh, software arena. And how do you think then looking ahead that can sort of help you and improve your capabilities in terms of the services you offer to your customers? Well, there are probably two major uh, uh, things that I can see. Number one is the security and having the financial wherewithal behind us to make sure that we're able to make the investments that we want to make to improve our software, which may include the acquisition of small pieces that we're missing. Um, the other is the integration of our software onto the desktops of their other customers. When we find out that uh, one of their genius customers also needs to use the protein metrics uh, biosphere software, it's a lot easier for us to work together to make sure that the end user sees the, the best result possible from that integration. Right. Now, one thing I've got to ask you, and I always ask everybody at the beginning of the year is, obviously, we've just finished 2021. How would you have described the year in one word? So how would you describe 2021 year? Uh, it was, uh, in a single word, it was surprising. <laughs> I was surprised that the industry did as well as it did and adapted as rapidly as it did to working remotely, to still achieving major breakthroughs. We, we only have to look at the COVID vaccine success to, you know, to, to, to get a clear view of that. But it's not just in that, uh, in that uh, area. So the industry has been able to figure out how to combine this hybrid world, which is they still need to have people in the laboratories. We still have scientists and, and I'm on Zoom meetings with them and they're, they're, they're wearing masks. They're gloved up and wearing masks, running experiments, but then using the software and communicating using Zoom like we are or Teams to advance the science. And it's been surprising that the, the industry didn't skip a beat. As a matter of fact, I think that the industry had one of the, the life science general industry had one of the best years ever in terms of advancing new types of biotherapeutics. And looking ahead though, what do you see the future for the industry? Because, you know, obviously people are hoping that pandemic would have eased off and got better right. in the last 12 months. It hasn't really. I mean, right. it looked like again, then the Omicron has appeared and uh, we look like we're going back to what it was 
prior as well at the beginning of last year. Hopefully that'll all ease up and get better. But what do you see the future then, uh, particularly in your area of, you know, informatics? Uh, because as you said, digitalization has become more of the norm. It has accelerated because of the pandemic. So what do you see the future for uh, the whole area of informatics going forward? I, I, I did realize that when things eased up a bit and I was able to go to a couple of conferences in person uh, in September and I went to one in Boston and I went to one in California, uh, you do miss out on a lot of the important information communication that happens one-on-one -on -one when you're with people in a group. So I'm, I'm hopeful, uh, Omicron aside, is that we will be able with, uh, with, with caution to get together more and more. On the other hand, there are plenty of meetings where we got together, which in hindsight were just as productive remotely. And so I, I, I do think we're changed forever in terms of how much travel we need to spend to go to meetings, particular within a company, within people with groups you already know. But those, those meetings of getting together and the one I'm thinking of had NIH scientists, it had biopharmaceutical scientists, it had academia, and it had vendors. And the amount of information in three days that it was exchanged outside of the talks was, you know, off the charts. And I think it was a bit of pent up, uh, you know, <laughs> I've been wanting to talk to you and see you and, you know, what do you think about this? So I do think that we will be in, we will remain in a hybrid mode. There will be a lot more meetings that are done uh, via telecommunications, but as soon as it's safe, you know, we will be getting back together. I doubt that we're ever going to see these buildings filled up again the way though they were in the past. I drive by locally in Northern New Jersey, two of the major pharmaceutical companies, and they've got 10, 10 story buildings and there's only three or four lights on uh, in them right now. Uh, I, I, I don't want to try to prognosticate and say, <laughs> well, you know, only 20% of the people will be going back, but it'll certainly be, a, be a, a different world going forward as a result of this. And as far as the, um, what we've learned from Omicron itself, uh, I think that, uh, you know, if we, if we could stay with the science, the amount of knowledge that had been accumulated on the mRNA platform prior to the outbreak of, of, the, of, the, of COVID, uh, we, was, we had done so much work, we were ready for that. And I think that will improve even more in the future. That fundamental platform work that is going to enable us to address new threats more quickly will become more the norm. And uh, of course, I'll stay away from the other side uh, of that discussion. And <laughs> <laughs> what do you think though, uh, in terms of you know, the whole digital world, I mean, do you have sort of a, an ideal of how you think the labs of the future and how people will work digitally going forward? You know, not just in 2022, but obviously much further ahead. I and mean, what, do, what right. do you see, I mean, in terms of, uh, you know, avatars being used or machine yeah. learning. How, what do you see the future for digitalization? Sure. You know, I was, I, was um, uh, I think it was in 2015 that I was with a small company that was acquired by a large company to help accelerate their digital transformation. And at the time for them, digital transformation was a PowerPoint slide. And that slide though, actually did hit it pretty well. It had the labs and the processes and the informatics, which is my life, but it also had 
the people and how the people interact with each other, and then the processes that you that are used, and the engagement with the global health authorities. And I think that 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 slide is still the slide that is being fulfilled. And there's a lot of work to be done. Uh, it's difficult enough to bring together the 50 different types of scientific data that I'm talking about, but to bring together the processes for how those people interact with each other and to improve, and especially in a highly regulated environment to move forward at speed, you know, that remains a challenge. Uh, because of the fact that so many clinical trials were run remotely, uh, I think that is going to change the clinical trial uh, landscape forever that it will no longer be necessary to only have a trial run within a major uh, hospital setting or other type of institute, that we will be able to send a registered nurse to somebody who's at a farm in Kansas and do a blood draw and let them be part of a clinical trial, which we couldn't do in the past. And I think that's, that will be part of the future. And that's a, that's a big part of the, of the, uh, of the transformation that's going on, not just the discovery and where I've been involved, but in the clinical applications. And we're gonna see more and more use of real world clinical data that has come out of the pandemic. Uh, and uh, it, it comes out in real time and with proper peer review can be applied to the next set of therapeutics. And so those are some pretty major accelerators for the digital transformation that really are the result of the pandemic. Brilliant, Kim. Well, thank you for that. Well, all that stuff is me to say is thank you very much for giving me that overview. It's been really interesting talking to you today. Um, any last words before we wrap up on uh, your thoughts for 2022? Um, you know, I should have given this a little bit more thought. <laughs> I'm so focused on what we're going to say. I do think that um, we are, 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 are figuring out how to live with the pandemic, with, 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 with the Omicron variant in particular, which seems to have changed our approach to, if only we wear enough masks to get enough uh, vaccine, we'll be safe. That's just clearly not true. You know, it's now part of, uh, of the landscape and we're, we're going to need to, to learn how to still be productive and move forward in spite of of that kind of, of threat. And we know that that's not the only threat. We know that uh, there's, a, there's a new version of Ebola out there that we don't know about yet. And so I think the, uh, the thing that the, uh, uh, the, what we've learned from 2021 is that we need to invest now in the basic science to understand how these processes work so we'll be better prepared to address them. And I think we'll see the fruits of that coming in 2022. Brilliant. Kevin, well, look, thank you very much for your time. It's been lovely speaking to you and learning more about what protein metrics are doing about the acquisition and also your thoughts on digitalization. I wish you lots of success in 2022. Good health, of course, for you and your loved <laughs> ones as well. And uh, if people want to know more about protein metrics, where can they get more information? Proteinmetrics.com. That's nice and easy. And, and you mentioned uh, events, though, whether they're virtual or live. Are there any events that Proteometrics will be attending, certainly in the near future, not necessarily for the rest of the year? Uh, the important ones for us are the major mass spectrometry events. So ASMS, which was in Philadelphia, hybrid meeting uh, just recently. That's towards the end of the year. Um, and then there are other events uh, listed on our website. 
Brilliant. Well, look, I wish you lots of success at those events. Have a fantastic 22. And there you go, viewers. If you'd like to know more about what Kevin was talking about today, then you can uh, get in touch with him via LinkedIn, which is on LinkedIn. You can check out their website, which I'll put the link above the video. Um, and if you have any questions at all, please put them below the comments in the comments because Kevin will be only too happy to answer them. So all I time to say is, Kevin, have a fantastic new 2022. I wish you lots of success. And thank you, viewers, for watching. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, have a fantastic 2022. I hope it's happy and healthy and successful. Until next time, as always, stay well and stay safe. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, everyone. Thank you.